All right, welcome to the show, George Robertson. Thank you for coming. Okay, I'm complimented that you'd have me. Yeah, absolutely. I was going through your Twitter, Twitter feed the other day, and uh, or I guess I should say X feed. Um, <laughs> still, still sounds weird. And I was, uh, I was very interested in uh, some of the stuff you you put up. Um, before we get into fundamentals, maybe let's cover a little bit of more the recent events, because you know, as we uh, talk about this on Friday, October the sixth. Uh, we just got that uh, kind of a surprise in the uh, non-farm payrolls. Um, what do you make of this kind of a surprise? Well, it's it. If you followed my my feed, or if you've looked at my material that I hung up on the um, the, the R page, uh, it's not a surprise at all. It's just what one would expect with the uh, the size of this NGDP growth, which has become consistent and uh, will probably be with us for a while. Uh, I think a lot of the noise has been, um, you know, people will choose their poison uh, to back up a view. It's revisions, it's this, we've got to watch non-farm payrolls, now we got to watch household. But in the end, it's all about, uh, since this is a consumption-based um, economy now, given the fiscal that's come into the economy, uh, uh, COVID and post-COVID, it's all about wages. And wages are just tracking disposable personal, uh, personal income, as you'd expect. Mm-hmm. Right. So I would say that you have a slightly, um, well, not, not exactly unusual opinion, but, you know, I would say maybe a bit contrary because, you know, correct me if I'm butchering this, but basically you're saying, you know, you believe rates are going to keep going up and that's very bullish for the economy, right? You expect uh, kind of both uh, rates and the stock market to keep going up. What do you make of uh, rates? Because, of course, that has been, you know, the uh, the topic du jour for the past uh, for the past week. What uh, what is your outlook on rates and what's going on there? Well, well, anyone opened up their eyes during the beginning of their career in 1981. This is standard fare. Like it is it is um, it's just not in the least bit surprising or shocking. Um, It is just the way the economy works. Mm -hmm. And I don't. I think there is a, a a bit more where rising rates will be a supportive, if not actually add to NGDP, but that's because of the closing in to normalization, uh, the normal rate that should be should exist given the NGDP and the growth and all the all the various other metrics we have. But we're we're almost to the end of that. I, I think it's about another forty basis points, and then the I perceive the U.S. Treasury will be at the rate that it should be, um, given what the economy is doing. Um, and then the rate itself will carry on whatever NGDP is doing now, uh, both uh, um, the, the stock, but also what the expected flow will be over the next year, two years, three years, well, you know, however, however uh, long a confidence you, you have to, to uh, handicap what NGDP's growth is gonna do for the next year or two. Um, I think it's a safe bet to say that NGDP is not going to decline going into an election, especially this very contentious election that we have. Right. And we're already seeing, uh, we saw it last year with the um, um, Inflation Reduction Act, which is a real funny name uh, for for policy at that time. Uh, We're seeing it with probably, we're going to probably get a a COVID-3 or something type of uh, uh, remedy coming in. Um, Free shots are already appearing. Mm -hmm. Uh, We're, we're, we're going to see a student, uh, it looks like he's just going to, uh, the administration's going to, and I think they should, they're, they're just going to keep chiseling away at student uh, loan forgiveness. Um, there's also going to be a realization that uh, a lot of that student loan doesn't even exist. I mean, mm-hmm. you can say that you owe them 100000 but if you're making 25000 bucks as a teacher, or well, let's say 50000 bucks as a teacher, that money's never going to become forthcoming. So you don't, you know, they, they can keep ratcheting it up and forbearance or whatever they want, but it's a fiction. It doesn't exist. Um, so this all adds up to that, uh, that it, it, it's very reasonable and, and almost ordinary for what rates are doing right now. Mm-hmm. Right, exactly. So Here's the thing, right? So you're talking about nominal GDP coming up and you talk a lot about, is that then coming from that fiscal stimulus, you believe that kind of um, pre-election uh, fiscal stimulus is playing? Yeah, the, the... this is the real, um, this is a great market for the likes of me, you know, who was raised on Henry Kaufman. I I, I don't know many, many of the viewers even know, remember that name. But 
uh, analysis of bonds was all based on the Z tables that the Fed still produces once a quarter, which shows the, the flow in the economy and also the level of credit, um, equity, value, so on. And the that 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 means that it's very easy to not discuss or believe or think or, or think you're creating a new idea. The fiscal input was at least six trillion. It, there's just no if mm -hmm. ands about it. You you maybe maybe I'm wrong. Maybe it's five point eight trillion. Maybe it's uh, six point four trillion. But the mm -hmm. the size of this is so obvious that it is the the main issue right now, and it's going to be with us for a while longer. Mm -hmm. Right. Now, I've seen you talk about the kind of the real rates or the kind of true U.S. rates. Could you delve into a little bit what, what that means exactly? What do you mean when you talk about that kind of real well, rate? Well, I, I come to that as a guy who, who by habit still thinks he's going to make a PL and trading bonds. And mm -hmm. that has that has not been true for, for a while now. Um, Yet I kept at it. It's a habit. And from 2012, maybe 2014 on, certainly after the uh, taper tantrum answer, which was Bernanke throwing, giving up and saying, okay, fine, we'll, we'll, we'll keep on doing this QE. Um, I noticed that all the stuff that really worked, and, and it was very dependable, and it was actually the, the craft, if you will, that, that allowed a few guys to prosper in U.S. Treasuries from, you know, not, since Volcker to uh, to 2012, 2014, just didn't work. Not not sort of didn't work. Not not noisy. Not, but it just didn't work. Mm -hmm. And what that was was a a um, they're either a fine models or they're they're various other procedures to estimate how the Fed would respond to a change in in two or three of the key factors that were the drivers of NGDP growth. Mm -hmm. uh, one of the major things being inflation. And if you got that right, you can handicap the Fed with great accuracy in terms of like whether they're tight or ease. And if you could do that, you could, you could get at least a week, maybe a month's jump on what rates will do. Um, after, after the, uh, we, by the time we got to QE2 and yelling, it just didn't work. So mm -hmm. that made me think that uh, at first that, well, it's all changed and it's the Fed and the Fed's screwing up and this and that. But then I start to think that, especially now in the last year, as the rates start to rise, that it always did work. It's just that the rate that it was solving for was not the market rate in U.S. Treasuries. And then I start to think about the Fed's power in terms of not only moving Fed funds, but if they so decide, they can set rates pretty well whatever low level they want as long as it's lower than what the real rate would be in other yeah. words the clearing rate mm -hmm. and then i start to look around you know now i'm now i'm very active trying to prove that i'm i'm a clever fella so i start to look around all over and i found that one rate that was consistent adjusted for prepayment risk you know which is the convexity and other parts um, that make up a mortgage backed security that's gse backed i it's full faith and credit for the principal Mm -hmm. was mortgages and mortgages went on a trip they were they're always uh fairly steady too about maybe 120 percent to 140 percent of u.s treasury tenure um some you know some changes because of the curve prepayment risk so on a volatility but then it just blew up um and we we went to as high as 200 percent like in other words mortgage 30-year conventional was at at times twice as large uh, mm -hmm. as the U.S. Treasury. Now it's easy to say, well, that's just a you know that's that's the mortgage rate. It's a private sector rate. It's, but no, it's not. It's it is the risk-free rate, but it's yeah. the risk-free rate that has to clear. Like it it, it can't it can't be uh, changed. Otherwise, the whole housing market just goes <laughs> it just goes weird. And there's no signs that the housing market or the housing industry, uh, either existing or new is really that out of whack there's there's some noise but it's 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 been pretty consistent for you know what it's always been consistent mm -hmm. um that being the case i started to work on trying to adjust the the um the risk-free aspects of 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 a mortgage-backed security that is risk-free to come to an approximate of where the u.s treasury tenure would be if it was maintaining its usual and and um 
and uh, actually pragmatic, if you will, relationship to to mortgages. And then I then I think, well, the only difference between where it is should be and where it is now is the Fed, and that's that's of course the eight trillion at max point of of, um, of balance sheet expansion, most of that being U.S. Treasuries. So I think what we're seeing right now is just to is two effects. First, this this very large surge in NGDP, and the any way you look at it, the the theoretical correct rate of of U.S. Treasuries will reflect that. And then mm -hmm. the second thing is that the Fed's you know you know stepping on the throat of the U.S. Treasury tenure um, is being released. Mm -hmm. So it is it is doing two things right now, which is that it's pricing NGDP. And it's also pricing um, the return to a normal rate, uh, mm -hmm. or I call it the true rate. I'm sure there's a better, more academically acceptable way to call it, mm -hmm. but that that's how I see it. Right. Okay. So the the real rate is being kind of moved by, like you say, the the nominal GDP, and then also you said the Fed not stepping on the tenure, so the Fed hiking event, essentially. Is yeah. That no, it's it's. It's got nothing to do with the the that's that's the other sidecar which which I, I get the most howls about is that the Fed is just it's clearly impossible to see any monetary impulse in the U.S. economy right now and I I think actually it's been the case since about 2012 for many years from 2012 the Fed was always saying ah oh, we want inflation to be two percent but it's one and a half and one and that's not that bad. Mm -hmm. But what was more important was that was a sign that the Fed was not effective, that they had no ability to raise inflation to any level that they they deemed. Um, they couldn't do it. So that meant the plumbing was not working. But everyone just looked past that and went into this Delphic and Odyssean idea of that what really counts is forward expectations and, and so on. Uh, and when it actually became very important to hit inflation, or at least to be able to understand what was going on with inflation from a monetary point of view, the Fed has completely been revealed that what they've been doing since 2012 is really nothing. Mm -hmm. um, and that's a really shocking, but I, I defy anyone, I can't find it, I defy anyone to come up with the numbers, the data that shows otherwise, that there is an active monetary impulse a tightening and easing at the at the times that the Fed says they're going to tighten or ease mm -hmm. in the U.S. economy, and it's been that way since 2012. Mm -hmm. So it's not the Fed action that is causing this normalization. It is simply that um, the Fed can lower rates below where it should be, mm -hmm. but they can't raise rates above where it should be. Mm -hmm. uh, and yeah. so what's right now is that as they take off uh, QE, and Powell's made it very clear, and they should. That they got to get out of this game of setting all the rates. The, you know, the command economy type ideas just does not work. Right. So this this is what's happening is that the ten years merely it's it's, a, it's like a double whammy. It's moving to a higher a high growth NGDP, mm -hmm. and it's also moving to what it should be and what it should have been for the last 12, 10 years. Mm -hmm. Right. Yeah, I've heard that line of thought expressed before. I've heard the the analogy of the Fed. It's like it's pushing on a string, and it's not really, not really achieving anything. Yeah. It, if if anything, what what it, what it does is it it um it gives the illusion. You know, some people think that a, a ten year at like two percent is an ease somehow versus where you know ten ten year at four percent or six percent, mm -hmm. and that's just not. There's no there's no academic literature that supports that view. Mm -hmm. um, a two percent means that just price discovery has been destroyed. Mm -hmm. Right. Right. Now, I've also seen a lot of people talk about the treasury market and talk about the idea that, you know, a lot of foreign countries are no longer uh, investing or rather they're divesting treasuries. Do you think that is having anything to do with the recent uh, change in, in the uh, in the rates? So countries like China. No, I, I, um, you, you heard this all the time in the 80s with the focus mm -hmm. on Japan then. Then you started to hear it about China. Now you're hearing it about other people. You heard about that the, the Saudis are just going to like have a weapon, and the real weapon is to sell U.S. Treasuries that they built mm -hmm. up. But the reality is, but for like some actual uh, foreign direct investments in Treasuries, um, the reality is that those are identities. 
Mm-hmm. In other words, if you're going to fix the price of oil over its actual equilibrium price or, it's, or where it should be, any money you make over that price, and this is where it gets like, I, I, this is where I, I might get screwy to some people, doesn't really exist. But uh-huh. you have to maintain that price at that, you know, 60 bucks, 80 bucks, 100 bucks, whatever, or, or cheerfully follow along. So any proceeds that you gain over like, I don't know, 20% over the cost of sticking a pipe in the sand and, and getting oil, um, that has to be put into U.S. Treasuries because if it's not, if it's converted to anything else, then mm-hmm. your ability to fix the price disappears, or at least what you contributed to fixing the price disappear. And this is the same for, for uh, China has to maintain an RMB at six plus. You know, right now, I, I think it's, I, I can't remember where it is now, but approaching seven. Mm-hmm. Right, and if they have it, if they if they have it at where they should have in terms of um, you, you know um, equivalencies, it, it should be around three or four, maybe even two. Mm-hmm. Um, that seems like a really crazy idea, but if you remember, that is exactly what happened to Japan when yen was up around three hundred odd, and and when they moved they moved from bicycles to to Sony Walkmans, and then the yen went just you know, it was happy, happy. And of course, it was reflected in their stock market and everything. Um, the U.S. decided that eh, we don't want that. We have 40,000 Marines in Okinawa. We won the war. So they did it all very politely without a lot of drama. And they, they took their time, the Plaza Accord. Right. But they moved, they, they managed yen and directed it uh, from 300 odd down to, you know, the low of 80. Uh, now it's coming back up. Um but the treasuries that 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 the Japan built up, a lot of it during the time time of um, of keeping the yen at an artificially cheap rate, so they could do exports, mm-hmm. is still there. And and they you know they have no interest in touching it because if they do touch it, they're going to go they're, heck they're going to go to forty um, mm-hmm. with the yen. And China has the same dilemma. Uh, so these U.S. treasuries are really not. The these identities, the person who owns them, the sovereign that owns them, whatever the entity is, doesn't have any freedom of movement. They can't mm-hmm. they can't touch them. Um, and if they do touch them, uh, almost all of them. I, I'm trying to think of an exception. Uh, maybe Norway. They're sort of clever guys. But if they do touch them, um, all the reasons for why they got that in the first place disappear, and then they get penalized. And then some for for uh, you know basically trying to steal and make money for what what isn't there. Mm-hmm. So U.S. is quite happy to keep the hold. U.S. is quite happy to keep these people in the dollar block. Mm-hmm. Um, it, it, I, I I sort of flippantly say it, it it saves us two more aircraft carrier task force. Um, and okay, we decimate our our employment in in Detroit, and but you know that's coming back. Mm-hmm. Uh, so fine, hang on to your treasuries, but they don't exist. And mm-hmm. we'll, we'll be glad to keep the fiction going. We'll allow you, uh, uh, Saudi Prince, <clears throat> to build this crazy 50-mile by 100-yard city. and all. Mm-hmm. Go for it. Uh, you're very rich, guys. Mm-hmm. But that riches you enjoy is actually just noise, almost like a commission for, for the transaction flow. Your real value isn't even there. Mm-hmm. Right, it's interesting because so are you saying then that the yuan is artificially uh high right now? Is that what the you what? Mean? That the, the the Chinese yuan is too expensive right yeah, now? Yeah, it's it's no, it's 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 um by any sort of Ricardo type of analysis, mm-hmm. uh, comparative advantages and so on, it's it's supposed to correct to where the, the there is no comparative advantage for mainstay items between China in the U.S. Right, right. And what that would what that would mean for China is that the whole export machine is destro- is is gone, and the end uh, the RMB will go down to maybe I don't know three two and a half. Right. Uh, Michael Pettis, who's on Twitter and he's very well known, does a great much better job than I do explaining this. Mm-hmm. Right. Okay. Now we've talked a little bit about oil as well. You talk a lot about uh, NGDP. Um, what is your outlook for inflation then? Well, I I think also because I can't see any debasement of the U.S. currency, like mm-hmm. I, I can't find any reasons why we're we're in a lot worse shape now than we were like three years ago. 
this inflation is not a monetary error or an excess in the U.S. Um, there has been a, just a massive amount of fiscal um, being pumped into the U.S. economy. Mm -hmm. So therefore, this inflation is best uh, best described by some as it's a tax. Mm -hmm. uh, Bernanke himself says it's a tax. Um, you know, so let's let you know he's brighter than me. So this tax will exist as long as this excessive from the from the market's point of view, uh, from those who who actually have interest in getting at least par back for the U.S. Treasuries after they've invested in mm -hmm. U.S. Treasury bonds. Will continue until they're they're completely assured that they yeah they will get par and that will take either that the U.S. writes into law that we will do such and such for the deficit and you can you know the whole full force and pure of the United States will get it done or they actually see taxes raised or they see a program of taxes raised or they see a drop in terms of spend but until that happens they will just tax the U.S. government by inflation mm -hmm. so that the benefits of this is actually pretty good. Like even like the more exotic inflations, which I think it's a mistake to use to consider what's happening in the US, but even the more exotic inflations like the Weimar uh, inflation, Krupp Steel was happy, happy. Like Tyson was happy. I mean, the, the major um, corporations, uh, they had no problem with inflation. 20%, right. 30%, 100%, it's happy days. Because mm -hmm. what that does is it 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 really really uh, hyper drives also the spot flow. Now eventually it breaks down, of course, but it's happy days. Now this is not like that type of inflation. This is not a debasement of the value of the U.S. It's a tax on the deficit, of which it's very reasonable to think that the U.S. will be able to pay it over the next 20, 30, 40, 50, whatever duration you want to assign to the U.S. Mm -hmm. That being the case, that as soon as this inflation task is done, uh, that that there's some assurance that you'll get paid back at par, um, you know, it'll, it'll abate, it'll, it'll, it'll go. In, in many ways, this is sort of a joke. Um, you know, um, Powell saying that it's intransitory, he's right, it is transitory, because the U.S. is a big place, and these this deficit problem is temporary. Now, mm -hmm. it might be temporary for a year or two years or five years, but it's still temporary in the scheme of things. So it is transitory. Uh -huh. So the correct policy that that Powell should have done is just moved Fed funds rate to what was the most optimal rate for the economy over five to 10 years and just pass this ball off to Biden. Say, go for it. If, if you and your wisdom as governance of the country think that we should do such and such and put six trillion in the economy right now, who am I? I I'm not... You know, I wasn't elected. I'm I'm an appointed, and I'm appointed by you. So, therefore, all yours. And I'll just keep Fed funds at three percent, and it will be there. I will make an announcement that it's going to be there for the next five years, and the ten year and everything can rip up and down. And some point that three percent might be too tight, sometimes too easy, and eventually I'll move that. I'll I'll nudge that to where the optimal rate is. Um, but you know. I don't run the Fed. Mm -hmm. Right, interesting. Now, you say that the deficit you know, might not be a problem. A lot of people might take issue with that. When you say the deficit isn't a problem, do you mean from the point of view of, you know, eventually, you know, tax revenues can catch up? Or are you, are you saying it like, well, you know, the U.S. obviously is never going to default because they can just print? Well, it, it's even more so. Um, it, it's it um, It's the biggest sovereign uh however you want to scale it you know like per head or whatever in the history of the united States, in the history of the world like right back to hammurabi mm -hmm. and that is such a, a a key factor but it is so boring and unremittingly present uh, especially after winning world war ii and some other things and people don't think well that's that's sort of a crass way to put it that really doesn't have much uh, nuance to it or detail i can't play with that so I'm just going to ignore it. But that's the reality. So for you to have any concern about the deficit in the United States, you are talking about the decline and fall, a la Gibbon, of the United States. And that's just not going to happen. It, it's not going to happen in our lifetime. Mm -hmm. Right, right. Okay. So 
how do how do we play this then as investors? Do you think obviously rates are going to keep rising? So is this a a matter of staying out of bonds and staying in equities? Is that how you how you see it? Yeah, I I see that. I I think it's it's um it's obvious. All my past experience says that the only hedge, you know, outside of Bitcoin or gold or are going buying fifty mountain bikes. I don't know whatever whatever people cook up. Mm-hmm. The only effective hedge for inflation is well-founded corporations in the United States. Mm-hmm. That's that's all there's been in the past. And I see no reason why that that's not now still a factor. In other words, um, I don't know, I might I might see Apple is a little dicey with like, you know, this new titanium thing that blows up or something, whatever's going on. But there are more than enough opportunities and companies in the United States that it, it is like a 90% certainty that they're going to be there in 10 years. Mm-hmm. That the United States is not going to fail. China is not going to walk into San Francisco. So, and that that is, I would say, even more. That is your only inflation hedge. Mm-hmm. Now, from uh, uh, from a portfolio manager to uh, even a, a speculator that can stand the sentiment, which is definitely against that. Um, I would say that you would you could prosper by being long, like the likes of J.P. Morgan, or you know, I. I I can't think of, you know, 20 other companies, say, or maybe even just the S&P 500, but that has the, 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 the these mega companies involved. Let's say just the Dow. Mm-hmm. Um, you, you will prosper as I think everyone comes to their senses or even in desperation, start to buy equity uh, to survive the inflation that will be sustained and ongoing as long as this tax has to be paid. Mm-hmm. Now, um, the guys who will set that, the, the money on the margin or whatever you want to call it, are are not um, wise guys or Buffets or whatever. They're metropolitan life. They're, they are, you know, Cowper's pension. They're people who have very real asset liability management problems that they, they try to whiz bang around and get bright ideas and diversification. Let's buy hedge funds and, you know, just like uh, all that stuff they do. But in the end, they have to survive. Like you can't disappoint all the teachers of California. Mm-hmm. Uh, you can't, you can't harm them. So just, you know, first do no harm. They will buy equities. I don't see any other choice. Um, I, 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 I think after they exhaust all, you know, buying firewood and Montana and all the stuff they do do. Right. They're still left with about, you know, 10 billion bucks that they have to hedge up. And mm-hmm. I think it will be equities. Right. Um, and then as far as I was trying to think, like, what, what timer would I would I look at for in terms of when to go back to U.S. Treasuries? And what it would be is that it's a real, real stock Markowitz type answer. As soon as the correlation is stabilized at a good solid negative number between equity and treasuries, which to me would mean that treasuries is now gaining its what its counterparty to equities, which is now the insurance for the business cycle. It means mm-hmm. that we're actually going to enter the world of a business cycle, and that's when you might like leave equities and go into into um, fixed income. Mm-hmm. Right, of course. That correlation, of course, is broken in recent years, right? We've seen both equities and bonds go down together. Right. Right. And how do you feel then about something like uh, commodities? Then, if this is you know, if you want to hedge against inflation, is is oh, I'm, I'm not. I I work for a stint at Cargill. Um, I ran equities there and also in the in-house as chief investment officer for the in-house hedge fund. And I thought, okay, this, you know, it's Cargill. I'll go find out about this commodity stuff. Like, how do you do it? How do you make money? Mm -hmm. And I went to the guy who ran, um, who ran uh, grain globally. And he almost laughed at me. He did laugh at me. And he said, we don't make money trading grain. We have no view on grain. We, 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 we say a lot so that we can stir the, you know, stir the, uh, the, the pot up a bit, mm-hmm. but we have a room in Geneva, Switzerland, that is just like the uh, Dr. Strangelove Warboard, and it's of every ship, transportation, linkage, storage, um, all there that all cargo touches on, and then what we do is we, we trade storage and shipping. Mm-hmm. We don't have any interest in, we, we, we're just not good at it. And mm-hmm. I figure if Cargill's not good at it, then I'm not going to ever go into the commodities. Mm-hmm. Right. Of course, that makes sense. But 
let's say, I mean, what would your outlook be? Do you have a view on where oil prices are going to be in, let's say, five, 10 years? Well, I, I, I have two tricky responses. You know, I, I'm a real weasel. Um, the first one is that if oil prices go up, it's deflationary. It's not inflationary. Right. And if oil price, and just follow the money. And if oil prices go down, that's inflationary. Mm -hmm. So I think everyone's got their science reversed um, in terms of like what the effect of oil is. Like if I'm seeking a hedge uh, from inflation, I sure as hell do not want to buy oil uh, mm -hmm. because it's very nature of trading up a lot will actually be go against my view. It, it will, it will, it will drop inflation. It actually will become deflationary if that's all there is. And that was the, that was what stagflation was uh, from my view. And there's some, there's some literature out there on that. Um, the second thing is that oil is an administered rate. It's a, it's a rate of national security and greed of powerful dudes or people who are allowed to be powerful it has nothing to do with um, with uh, um, demand supply or any sort of uh, scheduling. So it is excluded. So if you're really good at that, if you're really good at figuring out what SBFs are not F, whatever that prince's name, you know, if you're really good at figuring out what these guys are going to do, and also mm -hmm. not only that, the timing when they do it, go for it. Mm -hmm. But oil, from my point of view, could be fifty in two weeks. Or it could be 202 weeks. I don't have any edge. Right. Okay. And now I've also seen this on your Twitter feed a little bit. You were talking about um, uh, Lynn Alden and her latest book and her some of her yeah. views on uh, Bitcoin. And I, I gather that you're not maybe a big fan of Bitcoin. No, I, I think it's I think it's um it's sort of a neat thing. You know, we were all titillated with it, and you know, we had to figure out blockchain and. You know, blockchain is going to run all banking system. And, you know, any, anybody with any sort of curiosity was really gung-ho over Bitcoin. We really got into it. But then I then I started to consider that as it grew, and especially I think I think um, uh, SBF is a sign of this, is that it is inevitably corrupting because it is always, whether it's like, you know, angry monkeys, NFTs, or whether it's Bitcoin, nice. it will... And I, I get the idea of Bitcoin. I get like get decentralization, all that. Mm -hmm. But if it has any sort of ability to store value, it is by definition decentralized, which means it is outside the system by definition of mm -hmm. the United States dollar. Right. That being the case, it can only be an anarchic, anarchist type force, a dystopian force against the United States. Mm -hmm. So the very reason you you want to buy Bitcoin is not because of a shift from the U.S. dollar to Bitcoin. It's because you're looking for the demise of the U.S., the state. Um, and in that case, there's no use of having Bitcoin anyway. You're, that's going to be the least of your problems. I, I mean, you're, 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 you can have all the Bitcoin you want, but you're still got to, you know, it's, it's a tough time. Mm -hmm. So the, the, the condition that will create value in Bitcoin is the condition that that will prevent its use. Mm -hmm. It's it's a paradox, um, right. and and that's just standard, uh, you know, nap uh, chartalism, and you know, and that later has become MMT. Is that money is there to pay tax? It's mm -hmm. not there to store value. It is there to pay tax, and by paying tax, money has to be under the control of the states so that they can track, you know, who who owes them tax and how they're doing and uh, and all that all that stuff in, in addition and that's why that even though you can give all this money you did for covid you never give enough to stop tax payment because that's the whole control and essence of the state mm -hmm. this sounds all highfalutin like like it's like okay great i'm bored but it's real and it, it's been real in every phase of history whether whether it's like you know augustus Caesar or or World War II financing or whatever, Bitcoin is a, is as far as the United States goes, and that's where my focus is. It's it's going to be banned because mm -hmm. it's incompatible with the state. Now, if I were Romanian and I was a decent fella and I'm not too happy with my state, or if I was Ni Nigerian or you know, there's all sorts of people. Um, maybe you, maybe you do want Bitcoin of some sort. Uh, but perhaps what that is 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 access to um, uh, central bank digital uh, currency, 
Mm -hmm. uh, and those people do have a need for a a value, you know, something of value that they can use to escape the the evil of their state. You know, like how lousy their life is if they have to stay with with Romanian whatever or or think of a Ukraine right now. Now, first of all, you you might be corrupt as hell, and now you got a problem. Like, how the hell do I get this rake I took off the top? Um, but the other problem is you have a very, you know, you have a family to feed and, mm -hmm. you know, five Bitcoins can make all the world a difference right now. Um, mm -hmm. Right, right. Of course. Uh, like, like you say, well, it's, it's a bit of a paradox, right? I mean, what's the point of saying, well, Bitcoin's going to go to a million dollars, but right. That's, that's only in the scenario where the, the, where there's no point in having dollars. Right. I guess. Right. And with, okay, go, go take your, enjoy your Bitcoins. <laughs> um now the thing of Lynn, Lynn is uh, I think she's far brighter than me and far more clever. She was the very first on this fiscal dominance and understanding the fiscal flows. Mm -hmm. Now I think she was the first um because she was on the lookout for anything that was an error in the US um policies and uh, monetary and and uh fiscal. Mm -hmm. uh, so she was always looking and then she's smart. She's smart as hell. So she really understands what's going on from, say, three years ago till now, even longer, you know, like, you know, whenever she started, right, you know, look, looking back through her stuff, it is spot on in terms of being predictive and its analytical power to date. And I think that's going to carry on. But but then I, I find that she just goes off, I think, into the stratosphere with this Bitcoin crypto infatuation, right. which I think in the end is a killer. Mm -hmm. But I, you know, I hope I'm, I, I, for her sake, I hope I'm wrong because she's very earnest, as I said, far more skilled than me. And I've, I have, I've, I've gotten great value from her analysis. Mm -hmm. It's interesting. You brought up the term fiscal dominance. What is fiscal dominance? Can you uh, define it for us? What, what does that mean? Well, the, well, the Fed just uh, came up with a neat one, San Francisco Fed. There's a white paper, I don't know, came out like a couple of days ago. And they cleverly say fiscal dominance is when we can't be the, the guy who's in charge. You know, mm -hmm. basically that's what it was. There's a lot of, you know, some math in it. But it says that fiscal dominance exists when the Fed cannot execute monetary policy. Right. You know, which I, I thought was a little self-serving to explain it that way. Um, mm -hmm. Especially because I don't think there has been any monetary policy. Or I would say... I'm having fun now. I would say fiscal dominance exposes that the Fed had nothing but words and was never conducting monetary policy. Mm -hmm. But that's just that's just being cheeky. Now, the, the reality of fiscal dominance, um, the guys who are really good at this are the um, they're sort of like on the flip side of, but they're sort of fellow travelers. But they're they're on the flip side of Lynn and the and the other guys, um, and they're they're uh, um, fiscal theory of the price level. Uh, that's that's where I got a lot of my ideas of inflation as a tax. Mm -hmm. uh, and uh, they're often attached to a pretty right wing uh, type of crew. Um, now, the monet and they and then they get marred in terms of like explaining it. But the basis of it is that whenever the um, the fiscal impulse comes in such that there is no monetary impulse, mm -hmm. none. Um, and it, it's an either or you can't it, it's binary you can't have sort of fiscal you know sort of monetary or oh, it's 50 50 today now it's 2080 it can't it's either all or none because as soon as the fiscal input into the economy gets large enough mm -hmm. to make the fed monetarily inoperable uh, mm -hmm. that no matter what they say or do it has no effect um, then that is fiscal dominance mm -hmm. Right. So is that kind of where we where we're stuck now at in terms of the next you know the next decade? Is it all about the the fiscal side of things? Well, this is this is where it gets really interesting. Um, first, I'm glad I'm not running money. It's a lot more fun to talk about it than <laughs> to actually like you yeah. might get fired next week, right? Um, but it also makes you think clearly. You know, it, it it's also a benefit to to be an observer rather than a practitioner. Um, although I, yeah, I'm in their day trading and stuff, but, but, uh, that's another story. Um, where I think this is going to lead is, um, I'm, uh, ever since the, the 2008, 2009, I'm a, I'm a huge, uh, a student, not even a fan, a student of Minsky. Mm -hmm. 
who he himself says he was a student of Keynes. Mm -hmm. And uh, and Minsky says that in a free market, in a market that's that is democratic, uh, that has the passions and excesses of, of people fighting it out for like, you know, I want this, I want that, you won't get it, and all this stuff. We have a we have a cycle, now, not the Fed monetary cycle, but we have a, a cycle that is related to passion and greed and fear. Mm -hmm. And he, he's very well, I think he's very well known. It's very easy to find this if you, if you don't know it already. You should know it. Um, is that it goes from like a hedge stage where everyone's very careful and you know stays close to shore. Then it goes into a speculative stage where they start to see the results of maybe a little leverage, a little bit of spice. Um, a little bit of Bitcoin, and they they have money, and because the speculation results, which are good, because otherwise it wouldn't be a speculative phase, mm -hmm. they start to to reach out, and then the last stage is the Ponzi stage, mm -hmm. which it just takes off like like a rocket, and mm -hmm. and every and the, what fuels the the Ponzi stage is not equity valuation. It's the in a free market in the way the U.S. markets uh, are any any sort of most Western markets. It's that it becomes a creation of debt that can back more and more excess in terms of speculative fury, mm -hmm. so that the debt has to start to finance previous debt, not right. just what what you're after. Mm -hmm. And then it's 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 very hard to you can't really say when it will happen, but then you have a Minsky moment where everyone says, hey, there is nothing here. This mm -hmm. is all, this whole economy has got Bernie Madoff. Right. And, and then what we do is like, we do have inherent value. We still have aircraft carriers. We still have this. We still have jobs probably. Uh -huh. But we crash so hard that it's pretty exciting. So that's, that's what I think is going to play out here. It's, it's really interesting to, to, to watch this. Interesting. Yeah, I guess that's kind of playing on the idea of the animal spirits from Keynes, right? The kind of right, exactly. mentality and, of and the it, Sorry. Yeah, and a guy who's done great work on this is um, is Keen, uh, the the Aussie who's I think he's floating around in in, in London area now. Mm -hmm. uh, I'm gonna insult him, well, I'm, so I'm not even gonna mention his first name because uh, anyway, Keen, and he's done just great work, and he really was just so valuable to read in 2008 uh, when we're trying to when we're trying to figure out what the heck's going on here. Uh, and I I would actually. Um, recommend that you that people get in touch with them and start to reread them because uh minsky's great and it's not that hard to understand what he's up to but keen does just a fabulous job of relating it to you know what's going to happen next week or next month or this year or what has happened Sorry, who, who's that what's his full name uh i i, I think it's david keen david keen professor d he's, he's not he's from australia a very very bright good economist He's taken out a personal crusade to fix all of macroeconomics, which, you know, God bless. But what he is, is he's one of the best, um, uh, the best translator of Minsky that, I, that I'm aware of. Okay. I'm sure that there's always others, but he's very, very good. Right. So going back to this cycle, then you sort of mentioned a few different stages. Does that mean we're entering the, I think you called it the Ponzi scheme? Is that where we're at? No, I think we're, I think we're just... I think we're just coming into the speculative stage. Uh -huh. I think this is going to be such a happy time coming up. Mm -hmm. um, I think equity will do its job as the hedge for inflation. Right. I think uh, I think it's it's going to close with NGDP. The only spiel everybody is negative on equity has to be a full believer in the monetary powers of the Fed. Mm -hmm. there, there's no other way to be negative on equity unless you think that the Fed is tightening already. Uh, you know, the people were actually talking there was a recession last year. I know there's a recession here because the Fed tightened. Mm -hmm. um, and so once we get released from this, like, this belief in the Fed, which is very powerful. I mean, I, I'm, not, I'm not dismissing it. It's a very powerful reality in its own right. But once that's gone, equity will close to NGDP. And it's now got about, oh, a year, year and a bit to close. Mm -hmm. So I, I think that the speculative stage will will have like, I don't know, 30, 50% rally in equity, uh, good stocks. Mm -hmm. um, there, there'll be some excesses, like some guys will jump into a Ponzi scheme right away and they'll, mm -hmm. you know, it'll, it'll get rough for them. Um, I think that, uh, that uh, uh, treasuries will settle 
um, probably at rates that, that will even now be astounding. You know, I, I can see the U.S. Treasury 10-year going to 6%, which anybody who was working in the 80s and 90s is not extraordinary. It's just like, you know, it's, mm -hmm. it's common. It's absolutely common fare with this type of nominal growth. Um, and then I see that uh, the curve will, will stand on its ear. I think the Fed's going to lead the field. Uh, whether they survive or not, well, they won't survive as they are. It's it's like uh, Senator Sherrod Brown and others. Um, you know, I think the other guy in the House is bought off, but the Senate will start to say, like, you are not protecting rentiers. You know, the whole reason you're there is that us well-established rentiers are mm -hmm. able to maintain our wealth without causing a revolution, and right. you're doing a terrible job. You've you've just induced a gilded age too. And not only that, this inflation is really screwing with my estate that's in Virginia, you know, Virginia Woods or wherever they are. Mm -hmm. So you're toast and mm -hmm. the Fed will be redrawn. Um, and then that then it gets into law and then it, it, it probably can't be done until we have that that calamity of sorts. So there's political will to do it. Mm -hmm. um, they did it as gentlemen after uh, and, and gentlewomen. Um, after World War II with the, the 1951 tre uh, Fed Treasury Accord, mm -hmm. where they they just sat down and they outlined, this is the Fed's job, this is Treasury's job, Treasury will not intrude on the Fed, Fed will not intrude on Treasury. Right. And that was the start of the so-called Fed independence. Right. Um, there has to be another one. Mm -hmm. uh, this this, this um this Fed is, is very close. I personally think it's already arrived. It's very close to being a farce. Mm -hmm. Right, yeah. They, I mean, there is no longer that kind of separation, I guess, right? Yeah. So, so how does this end then? Does that mean, so you talk about redrawing the Fed, kind of maybe hinting at some kind of idea of a new kind of, let's call it monetary paradigm. Is that kind of the end game here? I, I don't see how they, can, they can't keep this facade up. It, it's just, there, there's not... Any metrics outside of forward expectations, which they control and, and define, anchoring and all this, you know, all the Delphic stuff, um, the Odyssean stuff. And by the way, Delphic and Odyssean is a formal Fed policy. It's it's not me make throwing stuff at them. They, that's it. That's their policy. <laughs> so take them at their word. So they they have done a, a fabulous job in controlling forward expectations and not even controlling them, defining them. Like these are your foreign expectations. Now, Nick Tamaris, this guy, that guy, if you want to even talk to us, you will write that that is the foreign expectations. Mm -hmm. So they've institutionally captured uh, every every media force. You know, like it, it, if you want access, if you want any interaction, and as long as sentiment believes that there is a Fed that's, that's powerful, if you want to have a breath from us, you will do exactly what we tell you to do in terms of, defining the forward expectations. Eh, talk whatever you want about today, but this is what you're going to do. You will hit the dot plot. You will hit the, the forward expectations. Anyway, sooner or later, it becomes apparent it's not working. Mm -hmm. it, it doesn't even exist. And forward expectations have nothing to do, especially since they're wrong month after month, year after year, now a decade. Mm -hmm. They're just wrong. So yeah. it's not working. So therefore, the Fed has to redesign itself. And that's tricky because they want to keep their tennis court. They want to, it's a good job. It's a very respectful job. It's a very powerful job. And, you know, Powell does just want, doesn't want to throw himself at the feet of Sherrod Brown in the Senate and say, I'm sorry. You know, I don't know what I'm doing anymore. You know, it's, that's not going to happen. Mm -hmm. um, it still has a massive bank regulatory powers that everyone's quite comfortable with. So. There's going to be I, I don't know I, I don't know how how do they how do they come to terms with reality mm -hmm. uh, with, without you know like with a, with a with Miller getting fired and Volcker coming in um, that that of course requires much higher inflation uh, but if they keep screwing with the rentiers like you know the Keynesian rentiers that's yeah. how I, that's how I mean it they're 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 not going to survive as is. Right. Sorry, could you define that a little bit? You say that as long as they keep screwing with the rentiers, what do you mean by that exactly? Well, th there's there's a couple of variations of wealth. There's like the Elon Musk, like to the stars. There, there's there's Jeff Bezos and Amazon. There, there's like the Gilded Age 
successes, like right. huge wealth, like wealth we haven't seen for since the Gilded Age, uh, you know, the age of Carnegie and J.P. Morgan and such. Now, I, I don't have a, a major act saying that's good or bad, but it is very unstable. It it uh, it is just boom and bust because that's the nature of how they make their money. Um, and then there's another crowd of people <clears throat> that are entrepreneurs and guys who go to work and guys who like you know like going from like a hundred thousand net net you know net worth to a million is really great. It's good, and they work their ass off. And it's 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 based on cash flow and ideas that usually hit fruition in three months, six months, a year, five years maybe. Um, and then there's another class of people, which they're, they're sort of like the joke that when a guy goes to heaven, St. Peter says, don't talk because we're near this wall. And he says, on the other side of the wall, those are the Catholics, and they think they're the only ones up here. That's what I'm saying, rentiers. Rentiers think they own everything. They, they think that, that an Elon Musk can come and go, Jeff Bezos will come and go, but in the end, we own this country. Yeah. And and uh, we we felt that in the days of Alexander Hamilton, and we've always felt it. Sometimes we got to get really quiet and hide. Other days we come through. But one thing you don't do is mess with our value, like which is not really in any, it's not in Amazon. It's not in, it's, it's in this inherited wealth that often goes back quite a bit. We must have at least some level of that maintained. Mm -hmm. And if you don't, if you mess with that, we will come after you. And mm -hmm. we are powerful. And uh, that that's what that's of course what what came maybe I, I I took a little liberties but that that's what Keynes meant when he said rentiers. Mm -hmm. So they're there, and the Fed is not serving them. The Fed is actually starting to harm them. Uh -huh. um, it's harming them by by the Gilded Age new guys uh, that will that you know have visions of becoming rentiers themselves and taking over. And it's it's guys are getting cheeky in terms of like UAW auto strikes. It, mm -hmm. It's it's not it's not what they 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 don't want this. And sooner or later, if they start to feel really threatened that mm -hmm. you know they're going to be cut in half by in terms of their power, they will respond. Mm -hmm. Right. You, you you say harming them in terms of the instability, not in terms of like asset prices, right? Because if you're like no, no their their wealth, their wealth, but more importantly the the power that goes along with that wealth. If that's diminished, they come out of the woodwork. Uh -huh. uh, proof proof of this is uh, Ivan Bosky and and the the green mailers. You know the green mailers went all over the place in the eighties, so they just waited for Ivan Bosky and and the insider trading, and then they unleashed Giuliani and he just put everyone in jail, like mm -hmm. jail, hard time. Um, and then they go away for a while because things are okay and they're they're protected, and then. Uh, you know, they 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 allowed Volcker. They're actually very supportive of Volcker because he was dropping inflation, which which maintains their net asset value, mm -hmm. and so on. And they pop up occasionally. Times of war. I, I don't. Want, I'm not. I'm not trying to be like Star Chamber crazy here. I, I I actually sound sort of like Lynn, I guess. But um, <laughs> but this is a reality in terms of like for the democracy to operate, they have to be appeased at the very least, mm -hmm. and the Fed is not appeasing them now. Mm -hmm. Right, right. Okay, I guess I'm just I'm just curious what you mean, because in terms of I, I I'm imagining you know the like a real estate mogul. I mean, supposedly real estate would do well, right? In in the situation that you're describing, where you know the inflation brings you know, brings yes. financial assets up. I mean, if anything, right? Kind of envisioning that this is kind of right. You know, um, more attacks on the poor, right? So you know, generally, you know the the halves of the ones yeah, yeah, that are um, in the financial assets while other people, you know, those, those sitting in Yes, yeah, it, it, really go the other way. Um, inflation's a flat tax. It's mm -hmm. like the flat tax of all flat taxes. Everyone pays the same percentage, more or less. Mm -hmm. um, there is no tax shelter. There's no, you can't hide it. You can't like, you know, if I well, if I go buy, a, you know, an electric car, I'll get a $10,000 break on my, my inflation bill. It doesn't, it, it, it's flat tax. Mm -hmm. It's unavoidable. And it's pervasive. It just you can't avoid it. Mm -hmm. So um, that actually benefits the middle class. If you think that for the first time, the 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 hoi polloi, the lower class, and the very rich class are now mm -hmm. paying a fair share mm -hmm. on a percentage right. basis, as I am. Right. So it's it's a mis they, they say everyone says it the other way, but I think that's a con saying that inflation hurts the middle class. It doesn't. 
mm-hmm. I have um, I have Social Security now, um, and I have COLA. I I think this is great. You know, I I had a I had a fifteen percent raise in my Social Security payments over the last two years, um, and 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 that goes throughout most of the middle class. Is they're not just sitting there dumb, you know, taking it. They they are out there in UAW picket lines. They are. You know, a bunch of UAW workers look like they're about to become the middle class again. They were before, and then they got beat up. Now they're coming back, mm-hmm. and so on. So inflation is actually it has great benefits, um, but it's despised by the very poor, and it's despised by the the very rich, mm-hmm. especially yeah. the very rich, the very rich that can't dynamically offset it by I don't know getting, you know, if I if I can get the U.S. government to fund me fifty billion dollars for a new rocket ship. That's sort of a hedge for my deficit yeah. inflation tax bill. Right. That's very interesting. I never really thought about it that way. Now, I'm very curious because you um, obviously a lot of the stuff you talk about is kind of big picture macro, but you did mention at one point that you do a little bit of day trading. Yeah. I'm, I'm a little bit curious what that means for you. Does that mean you're, you're at the little uh, it, 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 it means two things. First thing is that all this big picture macro stuff made me a lot of money back in the day. Up until, as I said, you know, I, I left well, my last job was Morgan Stanley Investment Management, where I ran the long duration business. So I should know what I'm talking about in terms of bonds. Mm-hmm. Um, and I did well. And then before I've had, a, I've had, a, I have a good track record of, of being successful in applying these big picture things to very successful outcomes. Yeah, a, few, a few times you glitch, but a few times you just scare the shit out of your capital and you get fired. But overall, it was a good time. It was a very nice 30 years. Mm-hmm. Now, um, after this, I, I just say, well, hell, I'm a bright guy. I really know all this stuff. I'll be able to walk into the market and day trade. And I, I don't have the, the leverage or the tools or the, 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 the types of securities that I had before. But surely a bright guy like me could, could day trade off this, especially if he gets the view right. And I'm on record. I, I was very excited about JP Morgan when it was at 99 is going to go up hard because the reason it's going to go up hard is because it's a company that cannot fudge its earnings. It can't, it can't avoid taking the earnings as it happens. You know, the, 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 the FASB, the bank laws, regulatory, if there's only so much um, um, that it can beat up its credit expectations uh, before they have to just take their earnings. Mm-hmm. And this is at 90 bucks last year, this time, actually about a year, month before uh, this time. And ever since then, as this kicked in, JP Morgan has had, uh, you know, great earnings every quarter. And we're going to have JP Morgan earnings next, next week, which I, I put great importance to. Um, however, I got greedy and I wanted to, um, I wanted to like say, I'm, I'm bright, I'm good. And I was like, so, you know, JP Morgan went from 90 odd to 140 odd. Now I, I think it's going to go to 200. Mm-hmm. So I'm not just going to like put my money in dollar for dollar or even like a little bit of margin. I'm going to do options because I really understand curvatures and this and that. And I have, I've made some money, a little, uh, some money on JP Morgan. I mean, I'd have to be a real idiot not to make some money with that mm-hmm. price action, but I, I was just, you know, harvested by Citadel or whoever's trading these zero trade date to expiry options and mm. all the games going on. I just walked into it like walking to a buzzsaw and it was, uh, it was very humiliating. It, it, it very, it set me down that, that day trading in this environment is far harder than running, mm-hmm. you know, a large portfolio mm-hmm. uh, of, of real money. It's, it's a very difficult thing to do. And the other thing is I'm I'm stubborn, so I, I try to um, I try to say I'm not going to get I'm not going to get fogged into the sentiment, you know. I'm not going to like run around and and whatever's the soup du jour and and be the best soup guy and 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 uh, yeah, because you know that's there's no money in that. Well, th- those people who were in that game have done very very well, right. and their explanations in terms of why they made money was whatever happened. Well, that must have been what happened in terms of the economy and how they describe it. It, it, They're all over Twitter and Substacks and everything. Mm -hmm. Um, My hat's off to them. They're better than me. I I take 
some sort of satisfaction that they're going to get it and get it good. And that's mm -hmm. the day I'll make a ton of money, but it hasn't happened. So there, there's a, there's an explanation of uh, my day trading capability. I wouldn't hire me as a day trader, put it that way. <laughs> yeah, it's a, it, it's very different, uh, obviously getting, getting direction and then getting timing and it's a, it's a pretty complex, complex thing. Um, just but, before we, so let me just put an ad in. If anyone listening to this say, yeah, okay, wants to give me a line of credit for 50 mil and put me with, you know, all the risk control that you should have with that, I think there's a fortune to be made. And I think I, I will deliver that without a loss. So there's my, there's my self-serving ad. <laughs> That's not a solicitation, by the way. That is not a solicitation. Awesome. Okay. All right. Well, also, before we... um. Before we head off, um, I also wanted to ask, because we've, we've talked a lot about the big picture and obviously kind of bullish on equities. And you you mentioned a particular one now, for example, JP Morgan. Can I squeeze out of you? Obviously, again, not, not financial. Sure. It, any, it, any other but, particular? But it, it gets more case? pathetic. I, I, I just noted, I know with this idea that equities will close in with NGDP, that I'm thinking of like, well, what are Heartland American stock names that are sound and then i also noted that 737s weren't falling out of the sky anymore and right. boeing is probably anyway I, I got involved in boeing and that's okay. just been a break even a break even a price and and uh, uh, that was almost all my jp morgan lame earnings was spent for jp uh for boeing vega mm -hmm. um i don't really uh I think JP Morgan, if, if I had just gone 100% JP Morgan, if I just done margin, I would have done really well. Um, would have, could have, should have. Um, but the other one was Boeing. And then then you can go all over the place. So yeah, you know, you can, there, there's there's like 20 names that I, I think will will fit my spiel. Um, mm -hmm. And then I, I don't have the access to information or input to, to, uh, to be predatory to go and trade day to day. Um, mm -hmm. I, I've proven that. Right. What about something like the um the uh, now called Magnificent Seven? I, I as soon as uh, as soon as something gets a fang, Magnificent Seven, uh, Wintel back in the day, it, it, as soon as it gets those nicknames, I I just run for it. Jig is up. <laughs> yeah. Except, but hey, it's what it could have should. I I can't do it now. Except that used to be a flag for when to kick into full predatory mode because. Mm -hmm. Those were always opportunities uh, in terms of like uh, just harvesting people. Um, so I think those people involved in those names will get harvested. Uh huh. Harvested, no, as in like ruined. Mm -hmm. <laughs> it's just it's just the way it's always been. Mm -hmm. You know, like Microsoft's still with us, Intel's still with us, but when it's Wintel, all those who got into it ran into uh, FTC and and uh, Sherman Act and and those stocks went down hard and mm -hmm. only lately have they come back up and it, it, it took the um you know it took the the dot com to to really start to get some life back into them but they're dead mm -hmm. uh so that that five year period when Wintel was it was was a period of ruin for a lot of people um and I think that's gonna that's the same um now having said that a long-term view is you know, Amazon was a dot, dot com stock par excellence, but it's still with us. You know, right. so there there are there are opportunities. Mm -hmm. I think it's very difficult to be a speculator in the midst of the current flows. That's mm -hmm. my excuse, and I'm going to stick with it. All right. Well, we'll leave it at that, uh, George. You know, it's been an absolute pleasure. Uh, thank you so much for coming on and sharing your very interesting points of view. Uh, where can we send people on the internet to find you? Oh, I'm uh, George Robertson, and it's like a, a little a wee mousy. It's bickering battle, um, you know, the Robert Burns bone. Uh, but I think you'll find me with George Robertson and mm -hmm. then bickering, bickering brattle. Uh, right. I don't know if you know that poem. But anyway, it's a, it's about a mouse who, uh, un, un, despite everything he did, gets ruined. Um, so I, I thought that was a good nickname. <laughs> uh, and also I have a... Uh, uh, R, R has a, a great service. It's used mostly by students trying to show that they can do R coding for their first year comp sci class, but it allows you to, to get a name on it. And mine's GMR underscore NYC. 
-hmm. and I hang everything up there, all my right. all my art product. That's that's where you have all those all those three D charts and stuff. Yeah, and, and uh, all the charts that uh, everyone yells at me saying they're just squiggly lines, but man, it makes <laughs> sense to me. Yeah, all, all charts are squiggly lines though. Yeah, yeah. What's what's really good with the squiggly lines is you have an excuse for everything down the road. You know, I just you know it was this squiggle that I wanted to look at, not that squiggle. <laughs> Absolutely. All right, well, George, once again, uh, thank you so much, and you know, hope we can do this again sometime. I'd love to, and and uh, I'll be forthcoming on what a miserable trader I am, or on the other hand, maybe you shouldn't have me because if, if JP Morgan does what I think it's going to do, I'll be insufferable. Because um, <laughs> then I'll be a good day trader and a great macro guy. Um, <laughs> but uh, I'm very complimented that you would ask me on. All right. Well, awesome. Let's do it again sometime. Okay. Good stuff. All right. Thanks Take for care, the time. George. All right. Bye-bye.